0: What gives you excitement in this life? What thrills you and captivates your heart day by day? Where do you find your joy in this life? For many of us, the NFL season is coming up come September. Uh, many of us are probably greatly anticipating hearing if we're going to have games starting right in September. We've gone through the off season where some key free agents maybe have been signed, where we've re-signed some influential players for our, players for our team, and where we've drafted players for the franchise. And we're getting into the preseason. We're excited for the regular season. We're excited to, to gather together. We're excited for... Um, getting together for games, for division rivalries, and to anticipate uh, the postseason uh, that's coming. Unless you're a Cleveland Browns fan, then you can anticipate the offseason a little early. Um, and to anticipate to see if our team, if we're going to be able to boast and see our team hold that Lombardi Trophy come February. This it seems to captivate many Americans' joy, their hearts, their motivations, their boasts throughout their everyday life. Perhaps for you it might be your job and what advancement or promotion you're going to get, what you'll be able to get with your next paycheck that you receive, and maybe it's even entertainment or a relationship. There are so many things that can captivate our hearts and that can be our motivation, our joy, and our pride in life. But we're going to see from Paul here in our text today in Philippians 1, we're going to see that the advancement of the gospel and the magnification of the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior, Through laboring for him and his gospel was Paul's and should be ours chief joy, highest motivation, and our only boast in life and in death. So if you have your Bibles, I'd encourage you to turn to Philippians 1. It will also be on the screen for you. Philippians 1 will be in verses 19 through 26 this morning. This is the word of the Lord. I'm going to read the first five um, words before verse 19, as I think they're very important for this. Yes, and I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage now, as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ. What we're going to see here are three truths about the laboring of the gospel in our everyday lives. Three truths about the laboring of the gospel in our everyday lives. And the first one is this. True joy comes from knowing Christ will be exalted through us in our gospel laboring. True joy comes from knowing Christ will be exalted through us in our gospel laboring. If you look at verse 19... You see that Paul is convinced that through the prayers of the church of Philippi and through the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ that this will turn out for his deliverance. Now what is Paul talking about when he means deliverance? If we know from the context of the book when Pastor Cain first preached this to start our sermon series, we know that this is a prison epistle. Paul is writing this while he's in prison in Rome and he's going to face trial in front of the Roman Empire. So we might be prone to think that Paul is specifically praying here about physical deliverance. Paul wants to be delivered from prison. He wants to get out of there. He wants to continue the ministry that the Lord Jesus has for him. But I don't think it's merely just this. And if we continue to read on, I'll show you why. Verse 20, As it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. Now, if Paul were to die, which is clearly implying as a possibility here, then he wouldn't technically be physically delivered from this trial, physically delivered from these crimes crimes against him for his faithful labor of the gospel. So think about what Paul is saying here. That's why he says right before, he continues on the thought of um, of, of rejoicing. Remember last week that... That Pastor LaRusso talked about how even when people are proclaiming Christ with selfish ambition, envy, or rivalry, or jealousy, that he rejoices because Christ is proclaimed. In that, he rejoices. He continues the theme. And then in the end of verse 18, he says, Yes, and I will rejoice. I think he's rejoicing, and his joy is found in the fact that God is going to deliver him for the opportunity and the courage to speak the gospel of Jesus. And if it means he lives, When he dies, he still gets to be delivered to proclaim Christ. But before we continue on on that, how does this happen? How does Paul get the courage? Well, he sees two influential things in that. And he thinks, first and foremost, that it's through the church of Philippi's prayers, through the Philippians' prayers. In verse 5, back in the text, when Pastor Crane preached, we, we know that he talked about how we uh, are in a partnership of the gospel together as a church here at Cedar Crest. And same with the church at Philippi. They were in a partnership of the gospel with Paul. And a very key and pivotal part of partnering together in the gospel is our prayer. It's us praying together. I, I'm always amazed when I think about how um, Jesus ascended into heaven. In that moment, the first thing that the disciples do and after gazing into heaven, the first thing they do is they don't strategize and think about, well, when the Holy Spirit comes, how should we do this? They don't go on the whiteboard and start writing out plans. They don't form a committee. The first thing they do is they go into the upper room, and they set the text says in Acts 1.14, they devoted themselves to prayer. Why? Because they realized that it wasn't in them to cause change in people's hearts. It wasn't in them to bring the gospel and advance it forward. Yes, they'd be used as agents, but they're not the ones doing the work. It's God who's going to do it. When we pray, we're declaring that we're dependent on God. I love what John Piper says when he says, A lack of prayer is our declaration of independence. where We're pretty much communicating by our lack of prayer that we don't need God in our labors. We don't need God in our lives. But we know that, you know, we go to God in prayer for our unsaved family member or friend or coworker because we're saying, God, God, I depend on you. I cannot save this family member or friend or coworker of mine. Only you can do that. I'm depending on you to save them. When we're going through a trial or a suffering, we're saying, God, I can't endure this on my own. I can't do this on my own strength. I need your help. I'm depending on you. Brothers and sisters, are we dependent on God in prayer for our gospel laboring? Are you praying for your brothers and sisters that we have sent overseas to be missionaries, to preach the gospel where He has not been named, or to strengthen churches that are out there among the nations? Or are you praying for your brothers and sisters among us that left about two years ago to go and, and, and plant a church in the Foglesville-Upper-McCungie area at Orchard Hills? Are you praying for them as they labor for the gospel or maybe in your life group says, maybe someone, a friend shares to you about an unsaved co-worker they have. Are you praying for your friend in that life group and this gospel ministry that they are trying to do with their unsaved co-worker? We ought to be men and women who devote ourselves to prayer as we partner with one another in the glorious gospel. So Paul is convinced that that, that through the prayers of the Philippians, they'll have courage. What, what else? Through the Of course, this is pivotal. This is essential. Through the help of the Spirit. Of Jesus Christ, Paul is seeking to follow and honor Jesus Christ with his life. And I think it's interesting that that Paul doesn't just say the Holy Spirit, but the Spirit of Jesus Christ, because the Spirit glorifies, magnifies the Son of God for us, and helps us to follow, obey, and live for Him in our lives. In a short application from this, we know that the Spirit works through the, what's called the disciplines, the means of grace. Some of the pivotal things, uh, means of grace in our lives are the Word of God that He's inspired, the prayer we just talked about, us gathering as one in the Spirit, as a body of believers. I really hope that uh, during this time you have an even more fervent passion to be together with one another. So are you using the means of grace? Are you spending time with your Lord in the Spirit-inspired Word of God? Do you have a time set aside be there alone with God and listen to Him. The same thing, as Jesus went to a desolate place to pray in the Gospels, very often do you go away to a desolate place? Do you have time spent in prayer? And do you gather with the people of God? Do you make that a priority? If we're not filled with the Spirit, we cannot be empowered for this Gospel ministry. And Paul makes that very apparent here. So he uses these two things, prayer prayer. He lists these two things, prayer and the help of the Spirit, to give him what we see is courage, that Christ will be honored in his body, whether by life or by death. How would Christ be exalted through him? Well, if by life he would have the opportunity to continue to proclaim the gospel to places where the gospel had not been gone, he'd have the opportunity to go back to the church of Philippi and help strengthen them for their progress in the joy of the faith. Well, what if he dies? He doesn't get to do those things. Well, if he dies, then many others, through Paul's faithful martyrdom, for his faithful commitment to preach Christ, even though his life is threatened because of it, people will be inspired with courage and boldness to continue to speak the name of Christ. You see that all throughout church history and through the life of the apostle Paul. But we could imagine that in prison, Paul would have every reason to believe his efforts would fail. He had every reason to let go of his courage and to, to be led to disappointment. Perhaps you find it easy to be disappointed when your gospel efforts fail. Maybe you lose relationships with people that you share the gospel with, and they don't want to be your friend, they don't want to be associated with you anymore. Um, perhaps that you get ridiculed or mocked or, or scolded for your, your faith in Christ. and. There's disappointment that looms because of that, because you want people to love and treasure this Jesus that you have come into a relationship with. Or maybe, maybe perhaps, too, you're thinking about devoting yourself to a certain ministry. Where you're thinking, well, if I devote all my time to this, what if there's no fruit? And what if I'm disappointed? Whether it be devoting yourself to local ministry or considering maybe going overseas to proclaim Christ. I want to encourage you with what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15. This great resurrection passage in the Bible and at the very end of this chapter in 1 Corinthians 15 Paul gives this exhortation one of my favorite verses I love this verse Paul says therefore because of the resurrected Christ because death and sin have been defeated therefore my beloved brothers and sisters be steadfast immovable always abounding in the work of the Lord knowing that in Jesus Christ your labor is never in vain that every purpose, every aim, every ambition for the sake of the gospel going out, you sharing with your family members, your co-workers, you pursuing a certain ministry, maybe you being called to go overseas, if you do that in the name of Jesus, your labor is not in vain. It's not wasted, brothers and sisters. God uses those labors for exactly what He wants to accomplish them. His word does not go forth void. Know that Christ will be exalted through you, even so it be whether by life or by death. True joy comes from knowing Christ will be exalted to us in our gospel laboring. Second truth about gospel laboring. Second truth. Future life with Jesus motivates present gospel laboring. Future life with Jesus motivates present gospel laboring. Verse 21 is a very familiar verse for many of us. It says this, For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. I find it interesting that Paul adds, for to me, he doesn't just say this this truth statement here, that to live is Christ, to die is gain. But he says, for to me, Paul has the settled assurance in his heart that he has wrestled with, that life is summed up in Christ and in Christ alone, and that death is the gateway to meeting and being with Christ, so it is exceeding gain. But let's flesh this out. We could do a whole sermon on this one verse. It's so rich. But what does it mean to live this Christ? Well, in America, we like to compartmentalize our lives. So right over here, we have our spiritual life. And this is when I read my Word in the morning, and I sit in my cup of coffee, and I do my prayers. I go through my devotional book, and maybe I go to church on Sunday morning, and maybe even Wednesday nights. And maybe I'm involved in a certain ministry. So that's my spiritual life. And then, of course, we have our family life where we eat dinner together, we go on vacation, we maybe do weekend trips, we play board games together, uh, you know, spend time with your spouse, you know, after the kids go to bed, not me because I'm single, but that's a family life. Work life, um, perhaps you go to your job 8 to 4, 9 to 5, maybe you work night shift and, you know, you're focused on that and maybe your job is something where, uh, you know, you only have to be focused in that time frame, um, But maybe also it consumes, you know, the rest of your life, too, and you start thinking about it. But you have your work life here, then your recreational life, and then sports life, academic life. You can keep going on and on and on. And I think in America, we like to very much compartmentalize things. And I'm sure you may know, brothers and sisters, that is not biblical Christianity. Christ owns every single part of our lives. Our family, our work our jobs, our academics, our pursuits in life, it is all to be centered in Christ and His glory and His fame. Christ plus anything equals nothing, no matter what you add to the coin. Now, that doesn't mean that family and jobs and all of these other things are bad things. No, they're great things that God has gifted us with. But what if God were to take one of those things out of your life? Where would your focus, where would your aim, where would your joy be? Would it be hard? Would it be filled with excruciating pain if say, you lost someone close to you that you dearly love? Absolutely. Absolutely. But would you continue to keep your gaze fixed upon Jesus Christ? Would you continue to have your joy in Him and continue to move forward with what He has for you and know that life is summed up in Christ and He will be your portion and your cup? So to live is Christ. And then says Paul, so he says to die is gain. I think two, two things that, that are summed up in this that Paul is alluding to. One, based on the previous verse, that Christ will be glorified through Paul's death. There will be gain. Christ will receive glory through the faithful testimony of the gospel of Paul or of any of us when we die for the sake of Christ. And second, Paul gets to be with Christ. That's the most glorious future that we have to cling to. That's the greatest hope that we have, that we have this uh, true reality for us in Christ that one day we will be with Him, worshiping Him, adoring Him, bowing before Him for all eternity. This doesn't get any greater than that. Dying is exceeding infinite gain for the Christian. And that leads Paul to go through this difficult tension that we see in verses 22-24, through which I'll read for you. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet, which I shall choose, I, I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My, my desire is to depart and be with Christ, for so that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is also more necessary on your account. So Paul has this tension where he's like, all right, living in the flesh, fruitful labor. But, 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 but even with Christ, that's far better. And this causes him, I think, we see I want to define these two, um, but I think these two will enhance one another, but first we see to living in the flesh equals fruitful labor. Um, brothers and sisters, no matter how maybe unskilled you think you are or maybe not as competent in speech, know this: God is the one who does the change of people 's heart, and for every single person in Christ, he has fruitful work for you. This is his desire for you that you would you would follow him faithfully in that he would do the results. Philippians 1.6 shows us this truth. Remember, uh, Pastor Adam preached this when Paul says, And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. One of those good works that he's going to grow in you and bring to completion is your love for the gospel, your desire to share Christ in his gospel. So this is a wonderful thing. Like I get to share about Christ, but at the same time, this Christ that I'm sharing about is the same Christ that I want to be with. So Paul says, departing and being with Christ is far better. It's kind of like when you, you have a job, you really like it, maybe you've worked in it for a while, you really enjoy uh, your coworkers that you work with, but you also have retirement in store. And, well, that seems far better to me because then I don't have to work. Like, they're both super great. Well, as a Christian, you have this wonderful duty, this labor, to be able to proclaim Christ in your everyday life. It's the greatest work to be a part of and greater retirement plan, so to speak, this this reality that we get to be with Christ in heaven forever, worshiping Him, seeing and beholding Him. And I think these two things enhance one another. I think when we look towards the future eternity, and we set our hope on that, it will actually motivate us for present gospel laboring. Christian, remember, this is not your home. This place here on planet Earth is a place that God has put us in, but we're sojourners, we're exiles, as Peter says. It is not really truly where we belong. Our hearts long for something even greater. That's being with Christ. And that's why we're here on this home, to point others towards Jesus and to where they can have an eternal abode with the God who created them and the Savior who died for people like them. So, for example, um, faithful service to Christ And proclaiming Christ reaps eternal rewards. Um, This past week, I ordered a pair of running shoes, and I ran three times this week. Yay! Check up with me in two weeks and see if I continue. Uh, But as I started doing it, I realized, wow, this is why I wasn't running in the first place. This is terrible. Like, I'm short of breath. My knees hurt. My feet hurt. And honestly, like, running is boring. Like, running is so tedious. I... I don't know what provokes someone to say, hey, would you like to do 26.2 miles of this? Like, who wants to run a marathon? Like, that sounds terrible. But I think for most people, there's some of you that are unique and might like that, but I think for most of us, the reason that we might do an activity like running is not because running is so blissfully joyful, but because of the results that are reaped from that. Uh, that because of running, we have a healthier, a stronger, a more fit, more energetic body as a result in the same way when we labor for christ i don't think paul was saying wow i love being in chains i love being in this cell this is fun no what gave paul joy as he was in prison was the fact that he was working for something exceedingly greater that he was laboring for the gospel of jesus christ and for people to be brought into the kingdom of heaven and have an eternal home with jesus The eternal rewards are worth all of our labors. So whenever you maybe ask, well, does God want me to pursue this or be a part of this? Don't say, don't ask the question. I mean, ask the question, is it worth it? And the answer will always be, yes, Christ is eternally worth it. So how are you living out your work, your labor for the gospel that Christ has entrusted to you? I'm going to ask this question to help with this applicational point. What if you viewed every person in your life? as someone that has an eternal soul? Now, that's a true statement. But what if you actually consciously, like, viewed that? Like, your your coworkers, your family members, the person on your sports team, the person in your class, what if you viewed them as someone who has an eternal soul? How much more motivated might you be to labor for the gospel in that person's life? Like, when you realize that this person, this Billy, I just like using the name Billy, so Billy, my coworker, Billy, the guy in my class, is, if, if Billy, you knew, was headed to one of two places, and this is, this is true, he's either headed to eternal life of Jesus Christ, he gets to worship and adore and, and live with him for all eternity, or he lives in eternity under the just wrath and condemnation of Almighty God in hell. How much more motivated might you be as you reflect on future life with Jesus and even without Jesus, how much more motivated would you be to presently labor for the gospel of Christ? So I encourage you, people in your everyday life, think about them. If you have those five for new life cards, maybe you go back to that. Maybe you haven't filled one out. Um, you can go on our website and, and access that. I encourage you. People in your life, consciously think, who can I labor for with this glorious gospel that God has saved me with? Future life of Jesus motivates present gospel laboring. And third truth third truth, our only boast should be in Jesus Christ in our gospel laboring. Our only boast should be in Jesus Christ in our gospel laboring. Verse 25, Paul says this, convinced of this, convinced that you will remain in the flesh, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith. Now, I, I you know, I was studying this, I was thinking, and I, You know, in James, we see that we're supposed to not say tomorrow I'll do this or that. So I was like, I don't know how Paul knows he's convinced. He wasn't an apostle. Maybe he received a revelation. I'm not sure. But I do know this, that we can draw a lot from what he's convinced of. He's convinced that he will continue with the Philippian believers for their progress and joy in the faith. This first word, progress, shows us that none of us has truly arrived. So we'll talk about next week. All of us are called to live in a manner worthy of the gospel. All of us have sins we need to renounce and battle. All of us have hard attitudes that need to be changed. All of us have people in our lives that we may struggle with loving and need to apologize to or forgive. And Paul was saying in Philippians 3 that he, he continues. Like he has not earned it. He's striving for it, but he has not earned perfection. That will not come until God accomplishes that when he comes again. So all of us need to have progress in the faith. And that shows us that the proclamation of the gospel doesn't just stop at conversion. Believers, the gospel is to be present in our lives, adored and loved, studied in our lives every single day as a believer. Paul says in Colossians one twenty-eight, Jesus we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom, that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with to all his energy that he powerfully works within Our maturing in the faith is something that, as Paul says, we should toil for, we should struggle for, we should work for because God gives us the energy and the ability through the Spirit to do so. So an application here, many of you may know Titus 2. There's this model that we see of older men to teach and disciple the younger men, those who have been in the faith for a while, grown in a relationship with Jesus Christ, but those who haven't been, had a relationship with Jesus. Uh, for a very long time. And then older women are to do the same with the younger women. So those who have been in the faith, I won't call you old, but those who have been in the faith for a, a long time, are you discipling others in the faith here at Cedar Crest? Are you investing in the next generation of Christians? I encourage you to take the initiative up in this. So to, maybe if you want to know how to get involved, or maybe you want to mentor someone, reach out to the pastoral or. Or ladies, reach out to Jane Hamark about mentoring or discipling a younger lady. We ought to be invested in others' progress in the faith, just as Paul was for the church at Philippi. And younger men and younger women, people like me, and, and I just want to say, um, for those more experienced in the faith, like we want you, we need you, we want you involved in our lives. But younger men and younger women, do you have the desire to be discipled? Do you want to grow and progress in the faith? Be involved. I encourage you, especially if you're a teen or you're an elementary school uh, kid watching, know that you can grow in Christ now, that you're not the future of the church. You presently are part of the church now. So be about, we all have to be about our progress in the faith. And I want to give one last application, too, to to parents. Um, Parents, you are the primary shepherds of your children. You are the ones who are going to have most involvement in their lives, more than a mentor or a pastor or any other leader will. Do you desire your kids' progress and joy in the faith? It can be so tempting to find your, your t- temptation to prioritize your kids' progress in sports, for them to sign up for a club team, for them to sign up for you know, a team at school, for them to be a part of training, to spend a lot of money and invest in that. Is there anything wrong with those things? inherently? No, but does that also get in the way of maybe their progress in the faith or are missing church on a Sunday because you're concerned about their progress in sports? Or maybe it's their progress in a certain career. Maybe maybe they want to pursue something, and you're thinking, ah, I don't know if that's sustainable, or I don't know if that um, really fit you well. I, I encourage you, ask, well, is this the, what the Lord Jesus wants with their life? We ought to be about our progress in each other's faith. And parents, you have an awesome privilege to be able to raise up disciples for Jesus Christ in your home. So I just encourage you in that. And, of course, this... As we progress in the faith, I think Paul puts it here because we'll naturally increase in our joy. Then, Adam defined joy as Jesus, ourselves, or others. Sorry, Jesus, others, yourself. That when we keep our eyes gazed on Jesus, the object of our faith, we will increase in our joy and our satisfaction in Him. We'll be more compelled to serve others and be about discipling others and evangelizing others, and then we worry about ourselves. But why should we care about each other's progress and joy in the faith? Paul gives a very easy answer here in verse 26. That's where the so that is there for So verse 26, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. This is all about glorying in Christ Jesus. And actually, if you look at the um, original language and look at this word, to glory, and it could also mean to boast in. And it's actually more primarily used as that. But why would we boast in something? Aren't we called as Christians to be humble? And Paul also says, hey, you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because I am coming to you again. Like, is Paul proud of himself? Is Paul bragging here? Illustration that might help. Now imagine if we had a telescope telescope outing at Cedar Crest, and we wanted to look at the planet of Saturn, all right? So we'd buy a very nice telescope, and we, in the nighttime, of course, obviously, we would um, use our telescope and magnify and look at Saturn. Now, when we're looking at Saturn, we wouldn't be making it look bigger or more grand or great than it already is. Rather, through a telescope, we're magnifying Saturn, to see it for how great and grand and glorious it is. In the very same way, we as believers, as Christians, are used as agents, like a telescope for a planet, we are used as agents to glorify, to magnify Jesus Christ. To show people through the way we live, through how we engage with others and talk with others, to show people how great and awesome and glorious Jesus Christ already is. If you think that's a brilliant illustration, it's from John Piper, so I wanted to give the credit where it's due. But we as believers are called to glory in our boast in Christ, that as we live our lives, we communicate that God is the true and living God. He is the one worthy of my worship, that Jesus Christ is the only one that can save. So I ask you, brothers and sisters, do you glory in Jesus Christ, or maybe do you find a temptation to glory in your job, to boast in your job how much you get paid, maybe how high of a rank you have? How people appreciate your work, or maybe along those lines, glorying in your reputation—whether people recognize what you do for the church, whether people see how successful your kids are, your family is, or whether people compliment you—you you could, you could find this in so many areas: sports, wealth, family relationships, earthly comfort, etc. We were made to—we were built to brag, as Tripoli says. We were built to glory in Christ Jesus and Christ Jesus alone. So in our gospel laboring, as we go forth with the gospel, may we recognize that we are mere agents used by him. We have the privilege, the joy of being about his gospel, that he uses us to bring that gospel to save others, and that it's all for him and his glory. Our only boast should be in Jesus Christ in our gospel laboring. I don't know about you, um, but as I was reading through this um, and meditating on it, it, helps me realize um, how much in my life I need to confess of God. So I wanted us to go into a time of reflective prayer. Um, And if you look on your screen, um, you'll see shortly popping up um, just kind of a a template. And I encourage you guys to take the next minute, minute and a half, two minutes, um, to just pray, to be silent, um, to talk to God in your hearts. As you'll see, I have something um, there in front of you for you to follow. Um, Just as an example, based upon our points, God, forgive me for attempting to find my joy in blank. Help me to find my joy in Christ being exalted through me. And and you'll see the other points there. If you want to use that, or maybe you know what you want to say to God, just say it. So I encourage you, where you're at right now, if you want to kneel, if you want to stand, if you want to stay seated, pray to God in your hearts. And in in about a minute and a half, two minutes, I'll, I'll say amen, and we'll close with a final application. So let's pray. time of prayer uh, for you all in your hearts and I encourage you to let it lead into um, not just one time prayer but a habit of prayer as we labor for the gospel I'm going to close with an application here Um, you might be asking the question um, how might I labor for the gospel I have a slide that will be up here um, that I want to show you um, of areas here at Cedar Crest and then in your own lives where you can labor for the gospel and i want this, you know, this might be a time where you pray later. You you pray throughout the week. Uh, This, you know, you can access uh, the sermon on the website and see this slide and maybe you take a picture of it now. Maybe even pause it now and you want to pray now. I'm totally fine with that. Um, But some areas you can get involved in for laboring for the gospel. Um, And I want the Holy Spirit to work in your hearts as uh, he leads you. Number one, uh, I have on here, Chad. Um, As you know, the church leadership has resolved that we, uh, as a church, would pursue the Kanembu people in Chad, that we pursue the ministry of the gospel there to a people group who has never heard the name of Jesus Christ. This is what it's all about. We need people that go in that. We need people that send in that. The Holy Spirit will work as you wish, but pray about that. secondly, I've already said it, but unsafe co-workers, family members, classmates, friends, etc., people in your spheres of life that you can labor for the gospel and that you can proclaim the gospel to. Thirdly, local outreach events at Cedar Crest. Unfortunately, due to the unforeseen circumstances, we had to cancel some, but we still plan on having some in the fall. You can stay tuned about that. Hopefully we'll do our fall family kickoff. Hopefully we'll do the International Students Dinner, maybe the Hope DBS in July. Um, But we will continue to have opportunities where we as a church can come together and be a light to people in our community. Different ministries in the Lehigh Valley, I won't go through all these, um, and there's many more. Uh, ESL is one I could think of, refugees and international students that come here. Uh, I remember talking at the International Students' Dinner with uh, a student who uh, I asked, do you feel like you've been able to make great relationships here? And they said, no, not really. So we have people that are coming here. Um, from different countries that don't feel at home here. They feel uncomfortable. And what a great way to not only teach them something they need to know, but create a relationship with them and share with them the comfort that comes from knowing Jesus Christ. And some, some more ministries on here. Push the Rock does great things with uh, after-school programs with, with kids in elementary schools where they get to share the gospel with them. You, know, you have the Allentown Rescue Mission and working with homeless people providing them the, the hope of the gospel. Many opportunities that you can pray about being involved in. We, we've even had some that have started a, a prison ministry. There's something that you can go out and do if you have an ambition. Um, so, so know that those are those opportunities. And as I've talked about, discipleship in the church, um, that we be about each other's progress and joy in the faith. Um, be about discipling and being discipled. Christians, brothers and sisters, may we not lose heart. We have the best work, the best labor in the world of being able to labor for the beautiful gospel of grace and an even better retirement plan, a better future reality to look forward to when we spend eternity with our matchless Savior, Jesus Christ. Would you pray with me? Father, we do not consider our lives of any value, nor as precious to ourselves. But, Father, I pray that if only we may finish our course, the ministry that we receive from the Lord Jesus and the ways that you've given to us, that you would help us to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Father, help us to echo Paul and to say for us to live as Christ and to die as gain. I pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.